Hey, guys. Hey, what? It's Then Again with Ken and Glenn. It's one more time with Ken and Glenn. No, it is Then Again, isn't it? Yes. It is. And uh, and at this point, we're going to... Uh, what are we going to do today? Oh! According to the list, it's going to be a, <laughs> what, a, the list? a three to four hour episode <laughs> yes, it is. as Ken and Glenn talk about The, the Crusades. Crusades. That was my echo uh, in the background. Yes, the Crusades, where we're going to we're going to reclaim the Holy Land from the people that actually live there. <laughs> Wait, what? What? From the other people who, who live who there before them, back. but then the other people and also. It was holy live there. for a different yes. reason. So, yes, indeed. So anyway, the thing is, 1095, Council of Claremont in France, Pope Urban II does something, and it's not what the person that asked him to do was. Glenn, why don't you tell the good people what someone in Byzantium asked the Pope for and what it turned into. So we apologize for how convoluted this is, and we're it's almost to, Byzantine. It's Byzantine. <laughs> <laughs> Shing! Uh, the pun light just came on here in the studio. The, so there's the Byzantium, which is more appropriately known as the Eastern Roman Empire, who have been the bulwark against the spread of uh, Islam in the East. For a long time, and they held a lot of territory, but now their territory is shrinking, so they have sent two the West to what we think of today as the castles, the knights, the feudalism, things like that, and said, hey, why don't you guys, since you're mostly Christian like us, that's another subset, but why don't you send some soldiers to help us fight this threat that we've been protecting you from? And and more specifically, Alexios, the the current Byzantine emperor, has just lost some territory in Anatolia that he wants back for both strategic and trade purposes. There's a huge secular, worldly thing going on here as well. Pope Urban gets this plea, and instead of then addressing Western Christendom to say, hey, let's go help Alexios, it becomes, let's go liberate the Holy Land. All of it. All of it. It's like Alexios, you know, when he got that Instagram text. No, wait, he didn't. It didn't (laughs) exist. When he got that message, it took weeks to get back to him. Months. He's like, like, wait, what? That's not what I asked you to do. I need help here. But, you know, the ball was rolling. And the Crusader said, oh, don't worry, we're coming there. <laughs> As well. Oh, don't oh, worry. We're, we're, we'll be coming through. And it's it's very interesting because Urban had a had a problem at home because for, for a long time, people had been fighting each other in, in Absolutely. early medieval feudal Europe. Uh, and really, kings, the ten, dukes, the ten, local and, lords had been, had been killing each other incessantly. And, and in the 1090s, your favorite boys, the Normans, they, they're finally running out of people to fight. You know, so the Pope needs to channel their yeah. energies somewhere as well. And so this is really an attempt by the Pope. And from this perspective, it's actually kind of genius. Rather than having all this infighting in, in Europe, he said he tries to create a unified effort to send that fighting to not only go somewhere else, but to do it in a most noble and holy cause. Exactly, exactly. And incidentally, perhaps bring the what he considers Eastern Schismatic Church back into the fold of Holy Rome. I mean, there's a, right. there are so many different reasons everybody in this first crusade is fighting. It, it's really hard to say, here was the reason a person went on crusade. Well, there's many reasons they went on crusade. There are many reasons as there were crusaders. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, their scholarship has gone back and forth so many times on this, saying, well, you know, they were going out for for to make a fortune and to get money. Were they? Well, they were going out because uh, to divert the, the fighting energy, right. and that way there'd be peace at home. Well, was there ever really peace at home? You know, were they going out to reclaim the Holy Land for religious reasons? Well, some of them were, some of them weren't. But whatever the reason is, 
the call that goes out across Western Europe to those who are most likely able to go, whether it's the truth or not, is, hey, this is for the greater good of Christendom. It's for your personal glory. You might make money or not, but you'll be assured of eternal salvation in the afterlife if you die. So eternal salvation if you die, glory and fortune if you win. Who's not going to go? I mean, they didn't have any trouble recruiting that first time. Well, as a matter of fact, they had too Too much success because what Alexios wanted and really then what Pope Urban II wanted was a elite fighting force. They, you exactly. want an army to go fight. And the common populace that is not very well versed in soldiering right. wants to go too for all the same reasons, especially that religious fervor. Exactly. Peter the Hermit. <laughs> yeah, so they so they get a lot of... By the way, I, that was not just a random phrase, folks. It was like a name. <laughs> and suddenly Ken said, Peter the Hermit, for no reason. No, <laughs> Peter the Hermit right. leads a group of these people Glenn's talking yeah, the, about. The, for, for lack of a better term, <laughs> civilians yeah. leads a huge civilian army make a long story short they get slaughtered yeah or sold into slavery or sold into slavery and it's just it just complicates the issue right it takes time people get together they have to get they're not idiots they know that a campaign of this size is going to be a major undertaking they plan it they plan water routes land routes they fund it they set up supply routes they send letters to, to alexius and says that says we're coming right alexius this is a headache his plan is to supply them and get them through his territory <laughs> exactly. and into anatolia and the holy land as you don't quick need as possible. An, an army of uh you know several thousand idle guys just sitting outside your city gates they start having ideas yes as we'll talk about in a, just a bit with a later crusade <laughs> but but what's amazing is a, an, an adventure of this scale a military organization of this scale uh, and the logistics involved, there's no one in Europe that has experience doing that. And yet, in a remarkably short time for the period, they managed to get several thousand men, several army groups across a continent and into the eastern Mediterranean. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. And they arrive maybe not in perfect fighting trim, but they're, but but not, they're ready and rearing to go. Yeah. And again, to unfortunately make a long story short, <laughs> this first crusade wins. Right. Now, due in no small part to the fact that the people they're about to fight when they get there are dis. Jointed and fragmented. There's some internal conflict. There's a going lot on. of internal conflict. And you, boy, this is this is a story that echoes through the ages. And, that's, and this may be a, just a whole podcast someday of of when to fight your enemy when they're disjointed, arrive unexpectedly <laughs> while they're fighting amongst themselves, and you might conquer an empire. For examples of this, see the Aztec and the Inca. But but yeah, so they arrive and relatively easily manage to capture Jerusalem. And, and when you look at the history of it, some of the things they're able to pull off does seem miraculous. Yeah, it, and which only inspires them in their belief that right. that this is that this is guided by the hand of God. And so they get there, they conquer the kingdoms, they have now freed quote unquote the Holy Land mm-hmm. from the oppressor. Now, what do they do with it? Right, this, and this and this becomes an issue because a lot of these people on crusade that this was their goal. We've achieved. We've conquered the Holy right. Land. We'll, we'll now, free the Holy Land. They're not even conquering from their perspective. They're freeing the Holy right. Land. We've done it. We want to go home. We've been gone for four years, right. five years in some cases. But now you've got, you know, the 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 ecclesiastical leaders and things like that going, no, 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 no. We've, we've got to keep it. You can't just 
quote, free it. Because believe me, there's a very large segment of people that didn't view it as being freed. Right. But yeah, now what are we going to do? And it's and this leads to the establishment of the Crusader states. There's the King of Jerusalem and the Principality of Antioch and, and, and four or five different Crusader states there that get set up. And, and this, is, this is interesting because certainly the mass of soldiers don't stay, but some do. So what's, what's always been interesting to me, and I don't know what first grabbed you probably at age four like me, because <laughs> we're weird people. But when we got interested in the Crusades, you know, what inducement was there for, let's say, a young minor noble who's gone on crusade, he's survived. What makes him go, yeah, you know what? I think I will stay here in the county of Tripoli and be, well, actually, I'm about to say what the inducement is, a bigger lord than I would be yeah. at home. There's social and political and economic advancement. There is people, they're in a different world. Yeah. It is a massive sense of adventure in an exotic realm. Right. The likes of which they couldn't have imagined previously and everything is new and it's vivid and they want especially the younger ones want to experience this and you know there's a lot of intermarriage uh that goes on right there's a lot of absorption of foodways there's a lot of right. absorption of culture of clothing lots of different things that slowly starts to get transmitted back west right but that's one of the most interesting things and you, the only other place you really see this is in sicily mm-hmm. under our boys the normans <laughs> exactly uh, you have you know you have so you have a mix of western european you have eastern empire you have well you see it in byzantium too or well eastern yeah, Rome. yeah but but yeah. but yeah but but the fact that it makes it as far west as sicily makes sicily also an exotic sort yeah. of port of entree yeah it's i mean it's it's a remarkable thing you know you, you you're starting to mention the cultural exchange but there's you know also these guys settle down to the business of of running manners they're they're in a lot of ways, they're replicating the European manner, or dare I use the word feudal, yes, way of doing something into this new land, new to them. And so you're seeing a different type of organization of the countryside. And, you know, now let's turn to the perspective of the people that were living there when suddenly, hey, who are those 5,000 male armored guys on horseback charging us and killing us? Oh, it's the Europeans. They're oh, here. I, I They've guess got they're, a flag. I guess they're in charge now. <laughs> but, you know, the uh, the native population, the and it's, and it's Seljuk Turks, or Arabians, Armenian Iranians, Christians, Arabian yeah. Christians. There's, there's a very, it's a, it's a very diverse group that was there to begin with. And once again, scholarship is divided. There are those who say that, well, one of the reasons that Pope Urban seized this opportunity is because, you know, pilgrims had been going to Jerusalem. They already were going from Europe and back. But now, you know, in the, in the 1080s and 1090s, it was getting more dangerous. So this is part of that. There are other scholars that go, well, that's not really supported. You know, so the, the bottom line with that was, it's just always dangerous traveling in the early Middle Ages. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I exactly. think that's, that's a, so. So, so, ladies and gentlemen at home, when you go traveling in the early Middle Ages, make sure you carry along an escort. But, but what what that the, the larger point I'm making is there. Jerusalem was sort of a microcosm of Byzantium. It it was an it international was. city. It was there very. Was, yeah. there, were, there were many different traditions that were living there, more or less peaceably together. So what happens when the Crusaders come in and there's now there's a new boss in town? One thing that does is encourages the Islamic kingdoms around the area to go, let's make common cause. <laughs> and they're not so disunified anymore. <laughs> exactly. And another thing it does is for the peoples that were already in Jerusalem and in Palestine and in those places, they look at some of the things that the Western European people bring in and go, huh. 
Okay, let's do it that way. And by the way, here's this type of cloth we've got. Oh, you like that? Hey, let's trade and make money and intermarry like cultures always do, even when there's a larger fight. And it was generally very successful. Yeah, it was. Uh, And and, and the day-to-day, maybe I'm reading more into what I've read than I should, but the day-to-day seemed very diverse. It seemed very open, and and it was only when a lot of the the upper-up power structures of, I was going to say both sides, of every side, when the ecclesiastical leaders from each side and the political leaders start to to go at loggerheads, that's when you start to see the conflict. The day-to-day, because people just want to live, people want to prosper economically, Mm -hmm. and and when peace is around, you can usually do that. But there were all these things that, that kept happening that forced the conflicts. And so a lot of these you know, crusader kingdoms do eventually start getting taken back piecemeal, it, p- piecemeal and a, including Jerusalem. And, and the reason for that is, you know, pretty obvious. These are these are crusader states that while, yes, a body of troops has been left behind and, yes, they are functioning, it's still a very small amount of trained professionals in case there is a threat and your reinforcements are a few thousand miles that way right. and they move the speed of walking or on horseback. So it's going to be hard to supply. I, I, was, I read, oh, I wish I could remember which historian said this, but in describing the Crusades as a whole, it says, what was the result? A handful of quarrelsome knights held Jerusalem for 90 years. <laughs> and that's, that's about, pretty accurate. That's, that's pretty accurate. about it. They, and they held it, and then they uh, then they got kicked out. And then the <laughs> we're skipping the second, which is also very interesting, but then the Great Third Crusade, which is what most people think of when they think Absolutely. of the Crusades with King Richard the Lionheart right. and trying to take back Jerusalem. And, and Saladin. Saladin. Yep, and, yep. Um, and this interaction, that's the one most people think of. Mm-hmm. It was there because... About about 10 years before Richard left, Jerusalem fell uh, right. to Saladin, and there was a crusade to go and take it back. Well, Richard's crusade failed to take it back, but it became this huge— but the, the the territories that were still held by the Western powers was guaranteed. Yes, yes, exactly. Because just because Jerusalem fell or was re-liberated doesn't mean there, there weren't still some, some crusader states there. It's just they were along the coast, and— you know, one can argue about the the dialectic inevitability <laughs> of the <laughs> – yes, I've lost the two people that were listening. I've driven them away. Um, those crusader states were ultimately going to be unsustainable. I mean, in, in long-term macroeconomic terms because right. – how, because just how far away are they from their support base? How often does... If they try to remain the way they were. If they try to remain the way they were. Yes, yes exactly. Good point. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. But they held, you know... But they do hold on after the fall of the, Jerusalem. The, and, they and yet they still get needled and picked apart from the boundaries, but the Crusader states last... When did Cyprus fall? 14... Oh, yeah, Something, yeah. something? Well, and, and, and that gets into another interesting thing, which is how do you define a crusade? When was the last crusade based on that definition... And who else did crusades go against? Who else was, uh, was given? The, who, who else did the Pope say, yes, that's a crusade? Really? I'm fighting fellow Europeans. Yes, but they're the Lithuanian snake worshippers. I'm not making this up. You no, know, no, that's the, the, the Livonian crusade. It's, it's Teutonic Knights, Germans. 
hey, look, Pope, there's these snake worshippers just north of us who also have the port city that we want. Can we— uh... Well, don't forget the infamous Fourth Crusade that left and sacked the greatest Christian city in the world. <laughs> exactly. Remember earlier we said in Alexios constant. didn't want a group of crusaders sitting outside his castle because they get ideas? Well, the Fourth Crusade, they got ideas. Thanks, thanks for— And you will you will Google, you know, how many crusades were there. Different list yeah. all the way up to 10, but I will tell yeah. you this. After, after the Fourth— Yeah. The movement of large crusades to the east pretty much falls apart. Now, even in between those first and fourth crusades, there were constant people because you could still, quote, take the cross right. and go fight in the Holy Land and, and get all the benefits thereof, right. even if it wasn't one of the huge – it's only the huge waves that we count as, quote, a crusade. Right, right. But you could go on crusade. Right. And as a matter of fact, even within a Western European country, there were crusades of fellow inhabitants against each other. In France, the Albazinian Crusade against the Albazinian heretics. And of course, that's where we get that we get the origin of that famous "kill them all." God, God will, will know sort, His own. Yes. Yes. Let the Lord sort them out. <laughs> because the papal legate is there with the with the loyal Catholic French, you know, commander of the army that's got the, the city besieged, and they're about to attack, and they're like, goes, oh, but, but aren't there many of the faithful in there, in addition to the heretics? And he says, put them all to the sword, the Lord will know his own. Either way, the like, good guys were going to heaven, so who exactly. cares? Exactly. So, but, but what's interesting about that, for the purposes of, you know, what is a crusade, is this is France and its internal divisions within France, and yet one side gets the Pope's ear and he proclaims a crusade. So this is a crusade against fellow Europeans and fellow Christians, except they're heretics. So are they? Crusading goes from what it began as, which yeah. we've discussed, uh, to social political movements, power moves. And of course, some of us say there's ne- there's, there's never any difference. <laughs> I, think, I didn't say I would say it. I yes, said some would some, say. Some, some definitely say that. I, w- I would say there is a difference, but yeah. it would take me but, six hours to argue right. that with you. Uh, well, uh, but, but, but even if there is a difference, and I also believe yeah. that there is initially a difference, yes. but it's how often do they Im- start intermeshing and get co-opted? And it, and it, and it gets bad. And, and yeah. you know, so eventually... You know, the Crusader states not only fall, but so does the Eastern Empire. Right. In um, 15, 1453. 1453. Yeah, that's when uh, yeah. Constantinople. Constantinople falls. Well, the Turks. Well, not Constantinople. Well, that's Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> Libba shaking her head at us in disgust <laughs> and amusement. Anyway, yeah, so, so – and, and that really – that's kind of segueing into something else for maybe another podcast is there are a lot of different ways to define the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of what's going to become the Renaissance because 1453, Rome, or at least the last city that was heir to what was Rome, is now gone. And within a, gosh, within a decade or so, Petrarch and the Italians start doing their thing. So that's kind of a traditional way to say the, the Crusades are finished, Rome is finished. The, the Middle Ages is, are, are finished. finished, and now the Renaissance starts. And then what, you know, what, what place is there in the Renaissance for a crusade? And there are, some would argue that a couple still happen, but but yeah, it's, it, there's a finality. And, you know, now we see this wave, another wave of Islam spreading, this time with the Turks, once again, threatening to sweep across, you know, the Mediterranean right. and do all the things that 
that was done, which which now brings me back to we were joking a little bit at the beginning about, you know, liberated from who the people that already live there. So, you know, in the popular imagination, it's, you know, liberate the Holy Land. That's what the crusade was about. But that does then naturally bring up the point, liberate it from who? Right. Liberate it for who? And it's like – and like I said, the point is valid. Liberate it – you mean from the people that are actually just living there and going about their lives? Why do they need liberating? I, I think that you can't talk about the Crusades without addressing, let's say – and this is, of course, from 20th – excuse me. We're in the 21st century, aren't we? <laughs> 21st century. Are we? Are let's we? pretend we're not. Mm, well, we do as much as we can. Uh, 21st <laughs> century perspective, but also from the perspective of the people on the ground when those soldiers shows up, what right do you have to liberate me? I'm going about my business. There's only one right, (laughs) and it's the right of conquest. Exactly, exactly. And And in a lot of ways, that's what justifies the First Crusade. It worked from well, the European point of view. It does. And what you're saying, and I totally agree with it, is that the Crusades did not happen in a vacuum. Right. And it's important right. to remember, and this is something that scholars have also been hammering about, and I, I tend to fall on one particular side. <laughs> Urban just didn't wake up one day and say, hey, right. let's, let's go let's go kill everyone in Jerusalem. Right. We need it the crusade, back. <laughs> yeah, the Crusades, I would argue, and some argue, are a defensive measure, not an offensive. You have to remember the incredibly rapid spread of Islam mm-hmm. in the 7th and 8th centuries, right. and it swept across. And remember, we, we don't think of this, but Jerusalem, Egypt, what's now Turkey, those were all heavily Christianized areas. But with the spread of Islam, those areas were taken over and, and Christianity was suppressed. They swept across North Africa. They came across. They got halfway through Spain. They were hammering at the doors of Byzantium. So the West saw the spread of Islam as a serious right. threat, not even for not even solely on religious grounds, right. but in a pure conquest perspective. Right. Exactly. And so the West, you know, is just kind of having to find its way in the eight, nine hundreds right. until it gets strong enough to a point where it feels and I, I'm simplifying this. Yeah, because like, there's not the, one person. Right, in the charge. West was not unified. They, they don't exactly. go to a meeting every year and say, "What are we doing?" <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, they get strong enough. The Pope would like to think it's like that. <laughs> he does think it's like that. <laughs> but it takes that long for right. them to get to a point where they can create an offensive, a defensive offensive, right. of, of, on what they see as right. a, and, a serious. Threat. And you know, and the point I would make is that you know you're absolutely right. Those those areas were Christianized, but why were they Christianized? Because they were part of the Roman Empire. Who were the Romans? Occupiers, exactly. But once again, you you have to look at it from the point of view of the of Western Europe. Rome was the best and noblest thing that had ever happened, and then luckily it got Christianized. Now it's really the best and noblest thing that ever happened. So anything that threatens, I would say, the legacy and spiritual memory of Rome, infuses what they see as aggression. And what they see as defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because something else to remember is that while Eastern Empire, they consider themselves Rome. They right, were. Right, right. They, I would, they, they didn't call themselves Rome. Byzantium. They call themselves Rome. Right. And in the West, the Pope and the bishops and the archbishops and all those, they considered themselves the heirs to Rome in the West. Right. That's how they got their names. Their you know, bishop and all those things, those are names of local Roman 
Civitates. Right. So they consider themselves Rome, too. So they are the continuation of Rome. They've got to go and take Rome back. Right, right. Exactly. And I think on that note, now that we've gotten Rome back and lost it again, and now it's the 21st century and Libba's frantically waving in the background, (laughs) (laughs) that is an excellent place to leave our little journey into the past. So, uh, bye, everybody. Have fun on the Crusades. Think it'll work. (laughs) Take a miracle. Goodbye. Then Again with Ken and Glenn is produced by the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. 